Hello, this is Dr. Nancy O'Reilly, and I would like to welcome you to Smart Amazing Conversations with Dr. Nancy, a podcast that takes a look at stories of life and leadership for smart, amazing women and men like you. The most important thing is showing up. Don't think that you have to bring anything. Bring yourself, show up, and and remain steadfast and be a... If you are in a position of leadership and a position of management, bring women along with you. Supporting women is my passion and my purpose. And talking with other women and men who promote women's leadership is one of my favorite things to do. I've yet to meet a woman who did not know what she really wanted. She was just either afraid to ask the questions or she was afraid of what the answers meant. Their stories connect us and help us to understand that the possibilities are endless if we support each other and lift other women up. Trust is created by persistent identity. I show up as myself time and time and time again. And trust is built. It's one conversation at a time. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy O'Reilly, and I'm very pleased to welcome Marlene Chisholm, to Smart Amazing Conversations with Dr. Nancy. Marlene is an advanced practitioner in narrative coaching and works with leaders to build drama-free cultures to drive growth and reduce costly mistakes. She is known for helping managers address the elephant in the room and start conversation that gets results and increases accountability. A recognized expert on the LinkedIn learning platform Marlene has produced five educational video series on topics that include anger management, working with high conflict people, and having difficult conversations. Her expertise as a gifted communicator makes Marlene a sought after speaker and consultant who can deliver a thought provoking message with the power to change minds, alter behaviors, and transform work environments. Marlene has written five books, including her latest. From Conflict to Courage, How to Stop Avoiding and Start Leading. I'm so excited to welcome her back to conversations with smart, amazing people like you and get to see you again and catch up. And uh, so good to have you here. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about what's going to unfold today. (laughs) Well, as I told you, we're never sure. I'm never sure until it it occurs, but uh, it's good to see you again. And I you know, uh, our, our good friend Maggie keeps me abreast of what you're doing. So she has nothing but great things to say about you. And she's just wonderful. And I've tried to get her to get her re-involved with Women Connect for Good, but she is holding fast to uh, enjoy, <laughs> enjoy retirement. She re- well, it's not retirement. I hate that word. I, yes. I call it re-image, re fire <laughs> whatever. I don't ever use that other word because I think we it's just got a bad to- connotation, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> new chapter that's what we're all in new chapters but uh, so we're going to talk about your book but first we're going to talk about you so we've been in this business of of helping people to become leaders and using their voices and changing the world for good which i uh you are a soul sister and there's no doubt about it but your personal story and who you are and how this all came about in this book that we're going to talk about today is most important that women hear and, and everyone hears how you got there because you know they're going to look at you you're attractive you're you've got a great personality you're extremely successful and they're going to go oh things were all they're just so simple for her they're so you know things just 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 fell into place for her and we all know that we've all had journeys 
and uh, we were talking about the ditches and so forth. But talk about you and how you got to be the person I'm talking to today. Wow. Oh, it depends on where you want to start. But, you know, if if I start from sort of the beginning of my, I, I guess, awakening or that desire to have something more, um, I had been, I was a blue collar factory worker. And by the time I left, I had been there 21 years. But um, when I was about 35, and I think this happens to a lot of people between 35 and 45, and maybe multiple times, you go through these stages of, and, and one stage that's really scary is that, I want something more, but I don't know what it is. Like that can be terrifying. And I call that the first life tragedy. You want something more, but you don't know what it is. So in that position, you have to go out there and start experimenting with life and not judge yourself. You just have to have some fun. And so I went back to school. I didn't even have a bachelor's degree at that time, but I was just taking one and two classes. And then I joined Toastmasters and I got some clarity, you know, maybe there's something out there that has to do with teaching or speaking or, you know, some combination of that. I really enjoyed that in high school. So I call that the, the second life tragedy when you know what it is you want, but you don't believe it's possible because that gap is so wide. And so um, when I started thinking I would like to be in professional speaking, I didn't know a lot about it. I just started getting information about it. And it was a different world in that arena back then as well. But uh, I was in that second tragedy. I wanted it, but I couldn't imagine me like being able to leave and make money. And so then there comes this point where you think you can do it. You know what it is you want. You believe it's possible, but now you have to let go of security. And for me, that seemed like a lot. Like I had a 401k. I was making a pretty good wage for a, a factory worker. And since I didn't really know what to compare it with, that felt like a lot of money to me. And so... Um, you have to leave the beliefs you have and you have to trust that there's more knowledge. And, and while you're getting that more knowledge, you have to not compare yourself with people that are way ahead of you because that will also kind of take you down. So you have to kind of play your own game there. So I went through those three life tragedies. First one, you know, you want something more, don't know what it is. You know what it is. You don't believe it's possible. You know what it is. You believe it's possible and you've got to be willing to jump. So I did jump and I just started positioning myself as a professional speaker and I was getting paid for it, but I didn't have any business knowledge. And so eventually that caught up with me. And what seemed like being able to make pretty good money for one gig here and there, it took a lot of work to get good at it, really. And it also took a lot of work to learn how to appear and, and how to present in the business world. Because like I look back on it now and it's really, I have compassion for my younger self, but I made so many mistakes that I see young people making in business today reaching out, just going for the jugular, trying to sell something without building relationships and just being desperate to make money. Mm -hmm. And so it really was a self-worth journey. And it really was a journey of I'm learning business while developing a skill that I already have, but making it a better skill and, and applicable to what I'm trying to do. So that's kind of where it started out. And then during that period, I was making a little bit of money, not, not a lot, but I was surviving and then I kind of had a dip and I thought, well, what do I do? Cause I've quit my job. Yeah. And I, so I went back and got my master's degree. And at that point was another turning point for me because my professor, one of them said, you know, if you'll just do this and just suck it up, pay for it, get a loan, do this, 
eventually this can be your platform and you can be like Stephen Covey. And I did not even understand what that meant, but I did it. And so my capstone was drama in the workplace hampers productivity, the effect of relationships on the bottom line. And when I started doing research and putting that together, I started seeing how relationships affect everything. They affect our well-being. They affect our our health, they affect our finances, they affect our just everything. And it just it was so hard to stay focused because I could have gone off in a thousand different directions, but it did give me a platform. And the word drama actually came from, and I'm sure you know this from your background, Nancy, but it came from the Cartman drama triangles where I originally, that was sort of part of my awakening too, is that I went to a workshop and, and learned about the Cartman drama triangle and the victim, the persecutor and the rescuer. And it really changed my life because it was about taking personal responsibility. And like, it's easy to see everybody else's patterns or compare yourself or think someone's doing better, but it's really just about your own game. So that became such an interesting concept to me that I started using that word. And then I wrote my first book, which was sort of an act of the universe, God, however you want to say it. I got Wiley to accept I didn't even write a proposal. It was just, like I said, it kind of unfolded. And I guess the message I have is that if you just do the work, sometimes luck appears too, and it's the right timing. And that that happened for me with my first book. And that's when I started really experiencing more success that I could leverage. So that's the long-winded version of how did I get here? <laughs> I think that's fantastic. You know, one of the scariest things that people will tell you is public speaking. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the greatest fears that many, many people have is the fear of public speaking. So you went from, from A to Z, you know, and just went for it, which is fantastic. But it wasn't my career, but I also worked in a factory and I worked in a lot of different jobs. So I had an opportunity to really meet and see a lot of different cultures and, and the way people interacted. And, and again, those were the ultimate, in some ways, those were some of my most ultimate learning experiences were to really look at people in their different, in different ways and understanding. And I think that, again, going back to the relationship is, is the key that we all, you know, Women Connect for Good. It's really developing supportive, collaborative community of women and men supporting one another to get things done. And it is the absolute key. And then going into the issue of drama, I can't tell you how many times in my own life that I've said, this is a drama-free work zone. I mean, this is a (laughs) drama-free place and it will stay that way. And if anybody wants to be into drama, go go to the theater, go into the, get into the theater. We're not going (laughs) to here so i mean you know these are these are key variables but you know and i think that's the point though is if we really truly want to make a difference in this world and you are doing that no doubt about it is that you come up with something that really makes good sense good common sense which are relationships and supporting one another and doing good making this a better world so i love the book conflict you know again is uh, in fact, I do a video every day myself. Kind of, I'm usually talking to myself, but conflict's a part of life. I mean, it's just, we, we can't live in this world without conflict, but conflict also is about resolution, you know? And, and I think that's the, the, the issue that so many people are not really used to dealing with any kind of conflict and especially women after reading the book and going through and then looking at your study guide on conflict uh, resolution uh, is that women especially need to learn to be uncomfortable 
We are so, so used to, you know, even keel, keep everything copacetic and everybody's got to like us. And so women leaders, especially, if you want to be a good leader, you've got to understand being uncomfortable is part of it. And also that not everybody is going to like you. And in fact, if that's why you're a leader and you want to be a spokesperson anywhere and you expect everyone to like you, then you are going to definitely fail. There's no doubt in my mind that these women who are out there trying to play the, you know, the balance game, it, it's just impossible. So I think women, especially to be good leaders have to come up with those understandings that conflict's a part of life and it's an opportunity and people have to be trained and understand how to deal with it. So, you know, the book is wonderful. It's, it's something that is needed. Um, and then just last but last, not least, I was a director of an EAP for a very large healthcare system that, that you're very familiar with. And one of the things that we taught was we taught managerial training and we taught con constructive confrontation training. We taught them how to deal with confrontation in a positive way. And this was probably the most valuable tool that we could give to managers who basically, and this is also unfortunately something that happens in the, uh, the business world is that many people come up the ranks in a corporation or in, the, in, in the, the business itself who've never really had any training. They just stayed there long enough to go to be pushed into the leadership role and oftentimes did not have the skills and, and by, by oftentimes did not have the training to do so. So it's not, it, it, it's no surprise that there really are so many dysfunctional man, managerial people in the corporations. Uh, and that's where the companies really need to start thinking in terms of is, is the training and the importance of the culture and understanding it. Okay. Yeah, it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was just reading a report the other day about, and, and I already knew this. I mean, I, I don't always read white papers, but you know, to know these things, I see it. Yeah, you're so right. It's staggering, and I wish I could just quote. It's just very rare that that um, leaders get the training to be a leader. They get it because of seniority or because they're a, a like they're really good technically at their job, or else they were a rainmaker. They're great at sales, and it's really difficult. I talk a lot in this book about the, making the identity shift yeah. because what happens, and that's that invisible kind of thing. Like you know, we may be really good. And so we identify with being good at things, winning, being good, achieving, and then you get put into leadership and, and it's, you feel insecure because you don't want to look bad by going to someone senior to you and saying, I don't know how to handle this because the story you tell yourself is that I got hired to handle this and I'm going to look incompetent. And so therefore there's never any agreement up front, like, Hey, I know you haven't had training. I know you're good, but there's going to come things come up. I really truly believe that even mentoring by someone that's good at it would be as good, if not better than training. If you yeah. had, you taught managers how to mentor from their own skill set. But what happens is there's not that communication even between the levels of leaders. And what I've seen in the organizations I've consulted with, the ways that conflict is sometimes mismanaged is well, in the book, I talk about avoiding, appeasing, and aggression. But what I see on avoidance, like let's say at director level, maybe um, well, let's say one level down, the manager, and then there's a director over the manager. Well, if the manager is sort of uncomfortable with some conflict that's arising and they 
put one person in another part of the department, like they section them off and say, we're gonna have you two go work in the basement. You know, we're reorganizing, wink, wink. And yeah. we're gonna do that. And so there's this belief that if I just move people, um, the problem won't exist. But then what happens is those people feel like not included. They feel disenfranchised. So now you've got that experience, which it might not have been that intention, but it now creates all kinds of political issues. It creates a lack of inclusion. It creates something that it wasn't intended to create. And then if that person goes and complains to their boss, their boss says, yeah, but you go talk to your boss. Well, you talk so about litigation and then yeah. your class action suits of, of discrimination or harassment in the workplace. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but and the, and the thing that's important, uh, Marlene, is that people notice. You know, it's it's like people don't notice that I'm moving this person, or they'll people won't notice that I'm letting this person get away with this horrible manager uh, management of this department, or this person is constantly com complaining and and drama and all the above. People notice, and and they're waiting for the manager or the leader to take charge, and then when they don't they lose all kinds of credibility and yeah. then it becomes even more dysfunctional. And the leader says things like, well, you know what? I shouldn't have to babysit and we're all adults and they justify the behaviors of avoiding or even appeasing like, great idea. Glad you told me I'll get back with you on that. I'll take a look at that. And so those ways of um, avoiding, well, I call it the three A's, avoiding, appeasing, aggression. That's really the problem. The problem is not the conflict. The problem is people don't have the capacity, like you said earlier, to deal with it. Like that feels threatening to me. I now want to avoid it. I want to be not liked. I want to be nice. And because I don't have the training and the support system to deal with my emotional internal drama that's happening due to this, and I also don't have the skills, I do what comes naturally to me and probably what happened in my family of origin. You know, yeah. we were all appeasers. We, we got along. It was sure. wrong to yell or we're Italian. We got aggressive. We got over it. Sure. You know, so like everybody's been raised differently on how to handle their inner turmoil. And if you don't overcome some of that, you're not going to be a good leader, no matter how good you were in the other position when you worked by yourself. Yeah. Well, there's two examples that I can share. Uh, well, for example, George Bush Jr., uh, was not a great leader. But the one thing that he was very good at was surrounding himself with people that knew how to do the job. And, and I think this is also the good leader that does understand what their capacity for leadership is. And then they surround themselves with the right people to do the job. I mean, for me, there's things I just don't want to do. I mean, I, I know that there's things that as a leader, I don't want to do. And I, I find people that are good at doing it and want to do it. Absolutely. And, and that's the success of just finding the right people. And it's not, and it is about asking for help. We all have to ask for help. And every good leader, if they're not smart enough to ask for help, I mean, are truly setting themselves up for, for failure. There's no doubt about it. And then, of course, likability. You know, an example of that would be Hillary this last, this election. She lost that election for several reasons. One of them was likability. They kept saying she wasn't likable. And, and so we, we, we get caught up in these, these dilemmas. And uh, of course, like I said, it comes down to the whole thing about relationships. Every leader has to have a good relationship with, within the company and outside of the company. There's no doubt about it. So, um, you know, give us an, a couple examples of, of how conflict resolution, because that's really what this book is about, is not only identifying, again, some of the causes of conflict, which are normal, 
but some of the solutions and the resolutions to, to deal with conflict. Well, one thing that I talk about is, first of all, really getting a definition for conflict that doesn't make you put out your defenses. So we unconsciously have these ideas and all of us have different ideas about what conflict means. It means getting divorced. It means losing a job. It means I may not get the promotion. It means political. Like I may not, like if I say something that I'm going to be, you know, people are going to not be work with me. So we have these fears around it, that, that we create narratives around it. So the first thing that, that I offer in the book really is to look at what the definition has been. It's been war, it's been you know fighting, disharmony. And so change that definition to opposing drives, desires, and demands. And so I give a visual in the book of two arrows going in opposite directions. And the reason I do that is to say that if you can take yourself out of it and kind of observe it and say, instead of the story I'm making up about this person, that they are evil, they don't care, they're, they're doing this on purpose, chances are they have some blind spots and they may be doing things on purpose and not admit it. There's all of that that's involved. But if you get rid of all of that and say, okay, they have different drives, desires, and demands than I do, and I may not understand all of them. So if I then start from that place to say, I'm going to get curious first about what are their demands or drives, because if I know that, I might be able to get on the same page. I call it no stinking thinking, and I, you, you don't, you don't have ESP, and you don't have a crystal ball, so we have to, as human beings, realize we can't find out anything about anybody until we start asking questions. That's it, you know, and so like for me, I work on being curious. What I've done is that when I find myself triggered by anger, yeah, it's easy to make up a story and the story might be 90% accurate, but it's easy to internalize or to interpret what that means. And so what I'm learning to do now is to say, oh, I'm angry, but that must mean I don't have all the information. It doesn't mean I don't have a right to my anger, but I probably need to step back and like, like, for example, this isn't workplace related, but it's definitely women related. Like my mom is in, um, nursing care right now she's in long-term care you want to talk about your emotions coming to the surface when something looks wrong or like they're not giving the care or it looks a certain way triggered 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 and so you know I've had to really use my own work to say take a breath ask a question first get curious as to what's going on because it's easy to jump down someone's throat yeah we are humans we have to understand we are human beings and that we all have an opportunity to learn but it's also taking a breath stepping back and giving yourself a few moments before you're reacting you know since we've started doing all these zoom meetings all these videos and and of course texting we've all had to learn to stop before we write something because it lasts it's there forever you know, we, we, you know, and I remember when we got our first video camera, we took videos and now they're, they're there forever. And some of those were not pretty. It's that we shouldn't have <laughs> done that. Same thing with texting. You know, when we started, really started texting and using texting as communication, we said and did things that we should have never done. So we are living in this, this era of immediate response, immediate information, so that it's now even more important for all of us to stop, take a breath, and just really decide what we want, we want the outcome to be. And that's really what you're talking about a lot in the book is, what do you want to see happen? Yeah, and what's your intention? And the questions, I mean, again, it's one question after another that you keep asking that with those answers, I, I love I love the one particular uh, 
leader that you were talking to, you ask him probably 10 questions, he never can come back. He could never come back with any concrete information. So basically he was reacting to the way he was feeling about the situation and had absolutely no resolution, no way to deal with the conflict whatsoever. And so, you know, I mean, you were hitting a wall with him. He had to see that and feel that to understand that he was not a solution. He was the problem. He was becoming the problem itself. And we can all do that. I mean, one of the greatest questions is what do you want? And I think it's a real fun question, especially if there is some complaining, some drama, and there may be a reason for it. But if you ask someone, so, okay, I hear you, like hear people first, get them regulated. I hear you. It sounds like you're really angry. You probably have a right to be. What is it that you want? And here's what people will always do. Well, let me tell you what else happened. Or they'll say, well, what I want, I can't have. Or let me tell you why it wasn't fair and what they're going to say, because I already know. So like when you ask someone what they want, it does not matter if they're frontline, senior executive, entrepreneur, friend, we all do it. Like, what do you want? I haven't thought about that, but I know what I don't want. So we all kind of get into that trap of getting distracted by our emotions. And I call it the, the island called verbal ping pong where you're like yes I did no you didn't that's not fair I knew you'd say that why do we always when we're there we know we've lost focus so the main question is where are we going what do we want I can I can tell you as a therapist one of the things that finally I became an educator uh, instead of a therapist was the yes buts (laughs) was the yes buts (laughs) I went "Mm, okay guess we're not getting anywhere yes but Mm -hmm. you know but anyway, this is a great book. Uh, I want you. I want to promote it. From conflict to courage, how to stop avoiding and start leading. And so we want you to sell this book, and we're going to help do that today. And uh, you've got a wonderful guide at the back that if you don't even want to read the book, you just take this guide and you go go for it. This yeah, study guide. Go from conflict to courage. Study guide and book club facilitation. So you can go to that. But again, it's a book that you can go through and find key uh, measures and solutions and resolutions. So uh, this is a great book and uh, tell us how they can learn more about you and where to buy the book. Well, you can find me on LinkedIn for sure if you wanna connect there and say you saw me on this show. So that's Marlene Chisholm. I'm on LinkedIn. You can go to my web, MarleneChisholm.com. If anyone ever goes to webs anymore, do we? I don't know. (laughs) And then the book, of course, is available at any place where you buy books. And most of us buy them on Amazon. And I was excited to get to do the audio recording on that one as well. So you can get it on Audible as well. Yeah. I know we let's let's say this we we haven't seen the last of each other and it's so good to catch up with you and uh, have mutual friends and and great relationships so it was good to see you too success in all things and uh, let's keep our relationships healthy and and going forward and no more drama (laughs) drama unless it's fun drama right Unless we're actually in a in a play, I'm out, you know, yeah. we're actually on stage and we are doing it purposely. So yes. have a wonderful day. Let's stay in touch and whatever we can do to help promote and help each other, please let's do so. Have Thank a you wonderful so much. Day. Thank you for Bye. your time. Have a great day. Bye-bye. If you enjoy these smart, amazing conversations, please subscribe, rate, and review them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And read and enjoy more amazing stories in my books, In This Together, How Successful Women Support Each Other in Work and Life, 
and leading women. 20 influential women share their secrets to leadership, business, and life. Thank you for listening.